Welcome to episode 16 of the Analytically Speaking podcast. I'm Dwight Stoll, professor of chemistry at Gustavus Adolphus College and your podcast host. In this episode, I have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. David Bell. Dave is a research fellow at ResTech Corporation in Belfont, Pennsylvania, where he focuses on the design, development, and application of stationary phases to advance chromatographic and related hyphenated techniques. He has about 30 years of experience in separation science with uh, really deep expertise on comm technologies in particular, and I'm, I'm really excited that he's willing to join me for, for a conversation today. We are uh, now well into the second season of the podcast, and this is the eighth episode focused on separation science so far. We've had a, a good mix, I think, of people coming from academia or industry, but I think uh, my guest's perspective today is pretty unique in the sense that he has initiated and facilitated many collaborations with all kinds of people over the years uh, from the point of view of a uh, calm supplier really reaching out to collaborators in other industries and, and in academia. So, Dave, thanks for joining me today for episode 16. I think uh, I think this is going to be fun. Yeah, thanks, Dwight. So before we get into talking about uh, your science and the things you've been doing these uh, over these years. I want to just share a little bit of your bio with our audience to help them understand sort of the perspective that you bring into the conversation. So uh, you received a Bachelor of Science degree in chemistry from the State University of New York at Plattsburgh in 1989, and then went directly from there to work in the pharmaceutical industry, first for Wyeth Airs Labs and, until 1995, and then on to Burr Technologies and Myelin Pharmaceuticals until 1998. From there, you went to Restec Corporation for your first go with them, where you worked uh, as a research chemist for about 18 months, it seems. Mm -hmm. And then in 2001, you moved to what was Sapelco at the time and ended up working there for quite a number of years, 17 or so, I think, Uh, and, and taking on various roles in product research and development and riding through two acquisitions, I believe, first by Sigma Aldrich and then uh, Millipore. And while working at Sapelco, you completed a PhD uh, in the early 2000s, completing that in 2005 in analytical chemistry at Penn State University, where you worked with Professor Daniel Jones. And then I believe in 2018, you worked or moved back to uh, ResTech for your second tour with them, first as director of GC Solutions and now most recently as research fellow. Um, the other important thing I want to mention here is in the introduction is that you've been the editor of the well-read column watch column in LCGC magazine since 2014. Is that right? Yeah, yeah oh, just, I think officially for eight years, but yeah. okay. Time flies. Yeah. Almost a decade. Uh, and, and I have to say, I was just sort of, uh, flipping, scrolling through the, the articles today putting some notes together. And what I love about what you've done there is I think you put together a really great mix of topics ranging from trends and products and topics that we see at conferences to academic research topics to educate, you know, aspects that are more educational, such as just how stationary phases are made, because a lot of people don't know those things. And um, I think it's a really great uh, resource for the community. Thank you. Appreciate that. And uh, the last thing here is that I was uh, thinking about, um, as I was preparing my notes here, I was thinking about when and where we met. And I I think it was probably in the early 2000s when 
that would have been early days for you at Sapoco. And at that time I was working with Zirchrome separations. And I think we, we had some really good uh, early conversations about retention mechanisms and, and have really stayed in touch ever since. Um, we've yep. collaborated on a few projects here and there over the years and, and published a paper together on columnic collaboration not too long ago. And I've definitely um, appreciated your encouragement and support over the years, just in terms of, you know, the kind of w what we've been trying to do, but also uh, with with some columns at times as well. So sure. um, I covered quite a bit there really quick. Did I get everything more or less correct? Yeah, I think so. I think maybe the only thing was I actually started with Spilco after Sigma had uh, ah, Sigma okay. purchased so. But okay. it was early, early days, so it okay. still, it still wasn't uh, too much uh, sigma at that point. Sure. Okay. Thanks. Uh, yeah. So uh, let's get into a little bit. So I was, I think now that we're, you know, a little more than a year into this, uh, one of the most fascinating things about these conversations that I really enjoy is just hearing from people talk about sort of their their interest in science, how that developed, and specifically separation science. If I'm talking to a separation scientist, because I think um, this is especially really impactful for for students and young people to sort of hear about the human aspect of of these endeavors. You know, we we usually don't have the chance to write about that kind of thing. So I think in this um, in this mode of communication, we have a little bit more freedom to do that. So um, so let's just start there. What would you say, what what sort of events do you point to that increased your interest in science in general? I think I come by it fairly naturally. I'm a third generation scientist. My, my dad was a chemist turned computer guru, and his father was a chemical engineer with DuPont in the early days. So also I have two sisters. One's a professor of molecular biology, another one's a accomplished accountants. So I think math science kind of runs in the in the family quite a ways. But, uh, they also all have music uh, talents, which I either missed that year or <laughs> have, have yet to develop it. But uh, yeah, um, I, I just think uh, it really came naturally to me. Uh, I've always been um, inquisitive. So science, you know, just kind of uh, was a natural fit. I actually started in biology uh, in, in undergrad and uh, had to take chemistry as part of the biology program and you know quickly found that i enjoyed the, the chemistry more than the biology part that's interesting i didn't i didn't know that so we shared yeah. in a comment i started as a biologist too i uh, just I, I couldn't stand the memorization courses <laughs> <laughs> yeah fair enough biology uh, the, one of the things for me is i found out it was too slow for me like it takes you you know a week or a month to do an experiment and i just love mm -hmm. the fact that we can get a data point every minute or 10 minutes or whatever so very true okay uh great and what about um separation science specifically what sort of factors do you do you trace that interest to so there a little bit of exposure in undergrad um, I actually remember distinctly a uh, van diemter question in one of my analytical finals um, and i also did a little bit of really poor gc in my undergrad research <laughs> uh, the, um, so a little bit of exposure there but it really was my first job um, like many undergrads that you know go into industry right away i was um, first in a um, pharmaceutical analytical position. Um, and it was, I'm actually very thankful for this now. Um, it was actually a TLC 
position, right? So I did a lot of thin layer chromatography. So there's a lot of visual uh, cues as to, you know, things that were going on. It wasn't as much of a black box as maybe a lot of people that just go right into the HPLC or GC or, you know, instrumentation mm-hmm. um, uh, type jobs get to. So it really, it got me thinking about, you know, how the things happen. I could watch things happen and it really, uh, you know, kind of got me back to that why, you know, got me back mm-hmm. to that inquisitive piece. So very thankful for that. And that's, that's really, um, you know, it, it was about 10 years, like you said, in the, in the pharma industry. Um, so kind of found my, um, uh, my desire to do method development validation type work. You know, I didn't really enjoy just running methods as much as I liked creating them and trying to understand, you know, how things were working inside the columns. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, with the, the opportunity to work in the, um, in the, in the chromatography industry itself, that gave me a, a chance to, um, you know, start thinking about creating the devices and learning what's going on inside those, you know, you know, particle technologies and surface chemistry and how that all impacted separations. And, you know, I guess my, uh, my sort of professional thing is about, you know, what, what can a C18 not do, right? So anything a C18 can't do, I kind of became interested in. Huh. And uh, so that, that's still what really drives me today. Okay. And then, uh, uh, usually I ask what one or what are one or two events or accomplishments or discoveries sort of really um, memorable things that have happened uh, in your career that you would point to as things that you're especially proud of or are really happy about? Yeah, so when I got out of undergrad, um, I had I had plans to go to, to graduate school and uh, I met this lovely woman uh who is now my wife of 32 years um and they were actually found out there was a job you know near near my college that i didn't expect i actually went there um just to practice interviewing more more so than you know to try and get a job but you know the either dragging her across the country uh or you know relieving her was was a big part of it so decided to take the job and i had to wanted to get the phd at some point um, mm-hmm. unfortunately we're in upstate New York, uh, and, uh, I did have the opportunity to go back to Plattsburgh and, and get a master's, but they, you know, I really wanted to go for the, the whole deal. Mm-hmm. Um, so McGill was a possibility, University mm-hmm. of Vermont was a possibility, but, uh, both geographically were, were challenging. Mm-hmm. So once I got to central Pennsylvania, uh, there was Penn state, great school, also geographically more convenient for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and after a long talk with my wife and cause at that point we're wife and two kids, three kids at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was probably the biggest thing for me is getting, getting, getting that done and, you know, finding all the supporting cast that I had to my, my, my wife, you included, you, we, we knew each other around that time. Um, guys like Dan Jones, like you you mentioned and Dave Blissner, all these guys that really helped me, uh, get through that, um, it was a point where I grew professionally and personally, you know, a great deal. And, you know, not, not a route that I would recommend for sure for a lot of people, but, uh, you know, it certainly helped me and helped define, you know, my career quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think a lot of people have these kinds of um, points where they say, yeah, it wasn't exactly perfect or ideal, but everybody has some, some, some little time that they can point to is a little more challenging. Sure. I guess the other one I was thinking about was um, when I got the opportunity to do the LCGC, 
bit, right? So um, I got a call from Laura Bush and, and Ron Majors, and they said, hey, you know, Ron's going to step down after 30 some odd years of, of doing this, uh, this column. And they, they wanted to give me a shot at it. Uh, I thought, you know, um, you know, super flattered um, and, and opening that door and taking, taking advantage of the, that opportunity has, has just opened a lot of more doors for me and certainly given me a chance to learn and given me a chance to you know, give back to the community quite a bit. I actually got a, 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 um, a message from Ron today. In fact, he said, I only need, I think, 25 more years to catch up to him. It's <laughs> yeah. probably not going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was, when, when I, when I tell, talk, talk with people about the, the troubleshooting uh, column and just to, you know, it's, it's kind of mind boggling to think. So 30 years of those, yeah. that's 360 articles, right? So you could read one of those every day for a year and still not, right. <laughs> still not yeah. read everything they wrote. So yeah. it's pretty, it's pretty wild. Three or four of us do what he used to do in, on, on his own. Yeah, exactly. Pretty, pretty crazy. Yep. Okay. So uh, now let's kind of get into some of the more main topics here. So as we were kind of exchanging notes, um, thinking about what we wanted to talk about here, you highlighted uh, one of the topics you wanted to touch on is sort of thinking about uh, greener and, and more sustainable analyt analytical technologies and approaches. So um, let's, let's talk about that a little bit. So um, I guess these days we don't have to make too much of a case for why this is important, but, um, you know, I guess, how did you get interested in, in this topic? How long have you been in, engaged in this? Uh, and um, what do you see as, as the sort of focal points maybe in, in terms of importance today? Sure. Um, so I think my, my interest, obviously interest in, in general has always been there, but um where I really saw it hit the analytical uh, community was at HPLC 2022. So mm -hmm. coming back from the pandemic, that was a that was a first um, HPLC conference since then, uh, and it it was a it was certainly it wasn't dominant. I wouldn't say, but it, there was a lot more discussion about it than I had anticipated or mm -hmm. you know realized. Um, I think there's still a lot of people that are trying to figure out what green analytical technologies really is. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and there's quite a bit of effort uh, in that arena right now to try and define it better. So, you know, so we're all kind of rowing in the, in the same direction. Um, but this year at the HVLC 2023, um, it was one of the, the biggest pieces. Uh, if, you, if you've been, I've got a, um, an article coming out on the, on the, um, on the conference this month in LCGC and they're in the infographic green and sustainable is one of the, one of the largest topics. Um, there were, uh, six, seven, eight, nine, uh, different talks, uh, really focused on it, not just the ancillary and, and this all, and yes, yeah, this is green too. It was mm -hmm. actually taught, you know, discussions on how do we define green and how do we actually get there? Um, so obviously it's, uh, you know, we need to do it, um, you know, for our, our, our planet and our families and our kids, uh, for sure. Um, and maybe analytical is not the, the biggest abuser or user uh, in the world, you know, large industrial processes or, you know, things that need to be taken care of first, but it is one way that we can, we can contribute to overall to the, the greenness of what we do. Uh, and as a, as a manufacturer, you know, I want to make to help, you know, help 
make sure we're making things in a uh, environmentally friendly manner, right? But also help design devices such that the the end users, the people that use the products, you know, can can also you know do their operations in an environmentally friendly manner. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, if I you know my predictions are right, I'd say this is one of the things that's going to drive innovations in separation science. Uh, strongly over the next few years. Mm-hmm. So, uh, one of the questions I, when I have these this conversation about green these days, one of the questions I'm asking folks is, it's a little bit of a chicken and egg problem, right? If if academics like myself develop something, we have something and we come to the industry with it, but they're not ready for it. And it's like, well, we it's sort of silence. Um, on the other hand, if if there's not a lot of um, driving force from industry, there's not a, a lot motivating the academics to, to do something. So do you, do you feel like we've kind of hit the point, sort of a critical point where it's going to sort of take off now or what, what do you think it's going to take? Yeah, I do. I think both those elements are there. I think there's a, there's an academic interest. I mean, I think there's funding uh, for uh, green technologies. I think it's a, it's quite the buzzword actually. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think anybody that's doing anything can put that word in there and help, help subsidize or, or help boost their, their funding. Um, but you also have the drivers from government and industries themselves trying to, you know, reduce their carbon footprint, uh, for example. Um, they're, you know, I've talked to some of the industry leaders um, that say, you know, hey, we're, we're being asked not to develop HPLC methods. We're asked to be, a, you know, developing SFC methods instead. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, you know, whether that's truly green or not, I think is up for some debate. But mm. um, there are people that I talk to and even, you know, pr- you know, primarily in Europe. I think Europe is really, you know, um, ahead of us and of the u.s in, in this case but even some of uh, u.s based companies are saying hey you know everybody has to contribute something toward you know a zero carbon footprint mm-hmm. right so even down to the individual people um whether it's analytical or you know someone you know in an office somewhere uh, they're all being asked to do something mm-hmm. uh, to contribute so i think that i think the, the the drivers are there you know both uh, monetarily and from a um uh, regulatory standpoint Mm-hmm. Okay. And even, you know, companies like, you know, ResTech, you know, people are asking us, you know, what are we doing, right, mm-hmm. as an organization? Mm-hmm. And and customers are making buying decisions based on mm-hmm. what organizations are doing. Okay. Yeah, well, that, that, uh, that'll get people's attention, I guess. Sure. <clears throat> um, so in terms of, like, specific uh, technologies or activities, have there been, I mean, you kind of touched on some of these things already. Uh, a little bit already, but have have there been specific kind of steps forward or advances that you've seen in the past few years, particular technologies? I'd say that the the greatest uh, number of the greatest attention probably has been in sample preparation. I've seen mm-hmm. you know some consortium uh, you know micro sampling, for example, uh, is one way of reducing um, mm-hmm. you know the the amount of um, materials and solvents used. Um, also, you know, portable GCs, portable LCs, so miniaturization, uh, maybe not to the micro uh, scale, but to the, you know, kind of small macro scale, um, is certainly some ways of uh, reducing solvent consumption. 
Mm -hmm. um, so I, I, I see, you know, maybe where, you know, some of these instruments were kind of a little bit futuristic uh, a few years ago, now seem to be getting onto benches um, and even, you know, even being utilized in, um, you know, academic settings, right? So, mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I see, I, I really see it uh, moving forward uh, and I don't think it's going to slow down. Yep. Okay. Cool. Well, let's uh, change gears here a little bit. So another question that I that I posed you or um, sort of thinking about uh, other things we might talk about is um, what are other uh, patterns or trends or specific areas that you've seen at uh, either in the literature or, or recent conferences that are really catching your attention these days? So it, I don't know if this is really new or not, but the um, sort of renewed uh, interest in bio separations, uh, especially in the oligonucleotides, um, you know, post-pandemic for sure, oligos have, uh, have been dominating the discussions. Um, I would say, you know, this has been a driver for at least a, a decade, decade and a half, you know, as we've gotten into larger molecule separations and, um, you know, in, I'll include in this, you know, uh, multi-dimensional, you know, separations, whether, you know, uh, whether connected directly or, you know, separate, you know, do it, have an SEC and reverse phase chromatography and ion chromatography all to, you know, coming together to, um, you know, better characterize very complex molecules. Um, but it just, it seemed, especially this year at uh, HPLC 2023, there was a, seemed to be a real surge resurgence of the biopharmaceutical dominance uh, in application and still a need to, uh, for you know more better devices uh, better separations uh, more more dimensions uh, if you will um, better uh, uh, better acquisition software better data analysis software um, so I, I felt like it may have waned a little bit in the past few years but uh, as far as you know, really being the driver um, but, uh, yeah, it seems like it's kind of back and along with the, all the omics that kind of come, come with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on this. One of the, we, we've been, we've gotten into the oligo space, um, doing helic and ion parent reverse phase and things like that for a couple of years now. And what I feel like as someone who's essentially trained as a small molecule separations person is. We're kind of having to learn a lot over or start from scratch in terms of learning some what what feel like really fundamental things so from the point of view of a, a column manufacturer do you feel like there's still a lot to learn there or yeah i i do and I, i'm i'm with you because i'm i've born and raised small molecule mm -hmm. you know pharmaceutical guy right um and you know some of the um you know, we, we could basically do everything we needed to do with reverse phase, you know, mm -hmm. for the most part. Um, and then we started, you know, looking at more, more and more polar things or even more and more hydrophilic things uh, or um, hydrophobic things. Um, got, got outside of that, that sweet spot of re reverse phase. Um, and then you, you add the, the, you know, the third dimension of, of you know, um, how these molecules fold and unfold and mm -hmm. um and yeah it's 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 crazy how many you know, how complex they they really are um mm -hmm. 
So, so yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I'm, I'm still, I'm still learning. Um, and we, we're still learning as manufacturers on how to best, you know, put the devices together. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, larger pore sizes, you know, is, is, a, is a given. Um, but, uh, you know, the bioinert type hardware and, mm-hmm. you know, how many places can a, can a protein get stuck in, a, in an HPLC system? You know, we're, right. we're still finding places, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, <clears throat> so um, yeah, I, I, I think uh, when I look at sort of what students are, confronted with or what kind of opportunities they have in front of them right now. I think it's a really exciting time uh, because there's so much, um, you know, reverse phase is just, like you said, you can do a lot for small molecules with just reverse phase. But when you get to biomolecules, it's it's both more challenging, but there's also more opportunity because you have ion exchange and helicon ion pairing and sure. size, size-based separation. So I think it's a, it's also uh, both challenging, but also really exciting time. And as a person that wants to couple all these things, it's yeah, really good for you. Yeah. Gives us lots of options. Yeah. Okay. So, um, what about sort of looking forward a little bit? So, looking down the road here, the next few years, what as a sort of as a research community thinking uh, bigger? What do you think we should be? prioritizing that will have a have an impact on how the field moves forward here yeah so like i said i think the green technologies is going to be a wave of the future i think we're, mm-hmm. we're i think it's here actually um and but i think the how we define it and what we how we respond to it is gonna you know take some time and mm-hmm. and you know it may be a completely different mindset you know we've been kind of striving for the most efficient system you know maybe that that's a way to get green you know, maybe we have to put too much power into that in mm-hmm. order in order to get there. So, um, you know, I could even envision going back to, you know, three and, you know, five and 10 micron particles mm-hmm. so that we can run ethanol through it, right? Mm-hmm. And, and not not have to deal with back pressure issues. So mm-hmm. I think I think we need to step back and take a look at what we can do to enable, um, you know, green, you know, green separations. And that may, that may change our course. Um, the other thing that I've, observed over the last few years, and uh, Gert Desmond actually um, gave a plenary lecture at uh, uh, HPLC 2022 on this, is that we've really been, really haven't had any revolutionary um, events take place in, at least not in liquid separations in, in quite some time. Uh, and I think the, the community is really kind of waiting for it. I, I'm not going to pretend to know what that is, um, mm-hmm. but I, I, you know, maybe it's a, a new particle technology. Maybe it's, you know, maybe it's some, you know, uh, technique we haven't thought about yet that's that's related that enables us to do to do more uh, with less. Um, but I'm, I'm kind of sitting on the edge of my seat trying to, you know, trying to figure out what, you know, waiting for that to happen along with the, the, the rest of the community, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, you know, not necessarily you know, provocative, but that's just an observation I've, I've sure. seen yep. over the last couple of years. Okay. So hopefully that comes. Yeah. Yeah. Before we, before you and I hang it up. <laughs> uh, okay. You so say, you did say 30 years, right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. So the, the other thing I really wanted to ask you about is, um, so as I said, in kind of the introduction, I think you've just had your hands in in lots of different collaborations and interactions over the years and i i'm curious to know how your 
I don't know, your mindset, your outlook, your thinking has changed about those collaborations? I mean, I, I know for me it has just changed uh, so dramatically going from sort of the graduate study level where you're super focused on your thing, you know, <laughs> how, mm. how can I get people to help me do what I want to do? And now sort of where I am now is is also much more collaborative and it's like how how can I find running partners to help us move these address these big problems move these big rocks up the hill right so how how's your kind of thinking about all that change over the years and what are kind of the the ingredients I suppose um, for a successful collaboration I think you know here now I'm thinking about sort of talking to to young people um, you know what I tell my students all the time it's like the days of, you know, Newton sitting under a tree or whatever by himself. I mean, there's a so far long gone and all of the, um, not, not to be, um, condescending about this, but all the problems that are worth solving really require multiple people work on, on them. Right. Yeah, I agree. Today. So like, what are the, what makes a good collaboration go, I guess, what are the, what are the key ingredients there? Yeah. So I, I, first, I think I, I, I've had that same progression as you had, you know, it's, a, it's kind of about me early and, you know, really trying to figure out how I can get my stuff done and using other people uh, to some degree. And mm -hmm. maybe, not, maybe not quite that bad, but, um, but uh, yeah, finding the, the, finding the the people that I need to help me get my stuff done. Mm -hmm. um, and that, that's really morphed into, um, or I think matured into, um, synergies right so trying to figure out how um how i can help someone else and at the same time help my own you know my own cause right mm -hmm. so um i think collaboration is the key right so you, you really are trying to find uh people that um have a need that you can fulfill to some degree mm -hmm. and but also they can they can fulfill a need that you have mm -hmm. um it is very difficult uh to publish uh, in a peer-reviewed journal from an industrial seat. Um, so one of the things that I found very useful in my career is to um, to collaborate with academics because that's what they want to do, right? Uh -huh. that's, their, that's their output. Um, whereas, you know, their need is to get materials and, uh -huh. and, and columns and, you know, they don't have a, necessarily have a lot of money to purchase a whole lot of different things or or have the means to create something, you know, mm -hmm. custom, right? For example, sure. like if you want to, you know, do 10 different uh, chemistries on the same stationary phase and know that it's the same surface, right? Mm -hmm. um, that's something that I can do and I can provide. And what they can do is provide the the output of the, the you know, the peer-reviewed journal article. Mm -hmm. um, so I think finding those synergies, finding those um, uh, people, uh, Honestly, now I, I look I look for people I want to work with as well, right? Mm -hmm. So I think personality synergy is just as important in some cases as uh, as the output. Um, and I think there's there's also a little bit of philanthropy, right? You know, mm -hmm. where where I'm sitting, uh, I also like to help students and make sure that uh, you know when we are uh, you know sponsoring a collaboration with the with an academic group that we make sure we keep in the you know the interests of the students. Um, you know, first and foremost, mm -hmm. um, and, 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 you know, the, the, out, the outcomes, you know, happen because of, of just being open and honest and, and caring 
you know, for those that you are collaborating with. Mm-hmm. Okay. Cool. Well, um, I think we can wrap up sort of the main topics there. And I like to close these uh, conversations with some quicker bits. So I, I pitched a few quick questions to you and um, we're going to, we're going to take a couple of them here. So um, the, the first one, uh, your analytical tip. I guess uh I thought about this a little bit. Um, one of the phrases I like, I think, comes from a gentleman named Box, was "models are wrong." Um, and, and you know, although you know some models are useful, models are always wrong. And I think um, you know, when when I look back on you know my PhD, I you know, we had data and I built models you know around how you know retention mechanisms of fluorinated phases, and I can tell you now that it was wrong. <laughs> right. Um, so be be open to it, right? The models mm-hmm. are there. You know, you build the models to help you understand something, um, but always be uh, cognitive of that they're they're probably wrong. And as more data comes in, don't be afraid to adjust them. Right? It wasn't completely wrong, but it was wrong, right? And I, you know, I think uh, if if we if you stick to that one model, uh, you're 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 harboring yourself from maybe the truth. Okay. And uh, second one here is, what do you think is the most important skill or quality for ensuring success in an analytical chemistry career? I think um, I think you need to be inquisitive. I think you need to want to know why. Um, I think um, it's you know, related to you know kind of enjoying what you do, right? So I mean, as a scientist, if you're not inquisitive, uh, you're probably not enjoying you know doing inquisitive type work, right? So um, if you're not enjoying this, well, you're probably in the probably in the wrong area. Yeah, I think that's great. I um, often talk with my students about sort of research, especially being a kind of a roller coaster, you know, and uh, I think the the joy or the fun of the um, the highs has to get you through the frustrations of the lows. So sure, absolutely. Yeah, yeah it's, but, it's, you know, even at the lows, you're still you're still learning stuff. So. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay, well, this has been great, Dave. Thanks for the conversation, and um, I think we'll wrap it up there. All right, thank you very much.